Ave Maria. You're listening to Monkcast, podcast from the monks of St. Benedict's Abbey. And in this edition, we're joined by Father Meinrad Miller. Thanks for coming on the show, Father. Thank you. It's good to be here. So we're continuing our Meet a Monk series today. So, Father, we're going to try to get to know you better and your story. So if you're ready, let's get started. Sounds good. Uh, why don't we begin, if you could tell us about your childhood and your family and where you grew up. Very good. I was born in western Kansas, and I grew up in Leota, a small farming town. And uh, my parents both, of course, grew up in Catholic families. My mom f- was from around Wichita. My dad was from Barton County in Claflin. And so I have a older sister and an older brother. And uh, so it was a very good home life and, and growing, growing in faith out there. Perfect. Beautiful. Uh, when did your discernment to the priesthood begin? Was it with your family later? Yes. It was when I was in fifth grade. We lived in Washington State. And uh, at the end of the year, there was a summer vacation Bible school. And I remember at that time that it was the first time that I ever really uh, discovered the Bible as something real. And, of course, I don't know, as fifth grade, what uh, level of understanding I had. But I, I, I just perceived that the Word of God was something real. And we moved back to Kansas after that year, so 1976, and uh, I just became involved with the parish uh, in high school. I played the organ at the parish. I served mass. I was involved with Bible studies. So it was very active. And so I began to discern how I could serve the Lord in those ways. Awesome. So uh, you became a priest. And uh, when was that? Was I, well, I joined the Abbey in uh Later, I came to Benedictine College in 1983, and after two years, my sophomore year, I joined the Abbey and uh, studied, then studied for the priesthood from 1990 to 94 in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and was ordained in 1994 by Bishop Herbert, one of our monks who's the bishop in Brazil. Awesome. Uh, what about your decision to join the Abbey and the Benedictine monks in particular? Well, I looked at many orders. I looked at the diocese, and uh, I was from the Dodge City Diocese, and so I looked at that. I also, I think I wrote to about every order known to humanity, <laughs> and I got all sorts of packets in the mail f- of everything from Trappist monks to Jesuits to missionaries. And I remember I visited the Redemptorist Seminary in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, and I also visited uh, a couple of other religious communities and seminaries, but uh, one of the things that attracted me to St. Benedict's Abbey was the balance of life between prayer, community, and work, and I liked that. I I felt attracted to a life that uh, included both community, prayer, and also some apostolate, so there was some attraction, not that the other forms of life uh, were not attractive in their own ways. Right, right. So apostolate, what kind of apostolate or ministries are central to your life as a monk? Okay, well, before I went to seminary, uh, my main work, of course, was studying in the college, and then uh, I joined in 1985. In 86, I took simple vows, and then from 88 to 90, 
I taught freshman religion at Mar Hill Mount Academy. Mm-hmm. And in 1989 to 90, I also was director of student activities at Benedictine College. And so that was a new role at that time. And of course, it was a very difficult time because uh, that was the year that the South or the old Mount St. Scholastica College campus had closed. So it was a very mm-hmm. sad time. And also there was very little money and there's a lot of talk, well, the college isn't going to survive. And so uh, it was a, a year of real soul searching, but also I think it was a, a hopeful year of working with people and getting to uh, look beyond the problem to see solutions and to see a, a brighter day for the school and for the monastery. So, Sure. Well, we're definitely reaping the benefits of that right now. The college yes. is definitely doing pretty well. So. Yes, it's, it's a blessing. Different situation, for sure. It is a blessing. Uh, and then music is also a big part of your life. I know you do the organ at yes. the Abbey a lot. Uh, can you tell me about that a little bit? Yes. When I was younger, I studied. Uh, I, I was told I had a good voice. So in high school, I was in choir, and I uh, played the organ at the church. I took some piano lessons early in life. Uh, but when I came to Benedictine College, I had some very good teachers. I had a... Uh, our Father Blaine taught some courses in music history. I had Sister Joachim, Dr. Cruzmark, Mr. Mabry, and Mrs. Q, and many other good teachers. And so I uh, learned a lot from them, uh, not only just music as uh, sort of a scientific method, but really the art of music as expressive of the person. So it was, I really appreciated that. Awesome. And then also, I've heard that you have some connections with the Missionaries of Charity. Yes, in, that's, in Calcutta, right? That's correct. Well, yeah. in the world, it started uh, in in two thousand eight. I was asked to give talks in Washington D.C. for some of the sisters who were preparing for solemn vows that they took take every year at the National Shrine. And so I went there in two thousand eight, and then I also, over the years, gave talks to the missionaries of charity in Memphis, Tennessee, and Newark. And then in 2011, they asked if I could be part of a um, year-long spirituality course in Rome. And, of course, I was just there for 10 days of that. I, the topic of my course was the Paschal Mystery and the Mystical Body. So it was a blessing in those years to be work with the Missionaries of Charity and to really come to understand the depth of Mother Teresa's now St. Teresa of Calcutta's mm-hmm. uh, deep spirituality and love of Christ, both in himself and the thirst of Jesus for souls and for hearts. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so uh, is that so mainly as a retreat director? Is that yes. kind of how you're and how it's mo- Most of the things that I gave were what they called seminars. Mother uh, Teresa wanted the sisters both to have a full formation so she wanted them every year to have retreats but also to have seminars where they would have some educational component so uh, she she thought it was both important to have both aspects of formation so working with the missionaries of charity has that influenced your own formation at all in your own spirituality yes i think that uh just coming to know the depth of of uh, what mother Teresa, uh her faith and really the way she saw Christ in, in every person. Uh, in many ways, it's similar to St. Benedict because St. Benedict himself in his day saw Christ in the stranger and the poor 
and the guest, and in that way he influenced the way Europe developed uh, mm -hmm. recognizing Christ in the human person. Yeah. And it's I, it's a similar thing too because I've um, Mother Teresa. I've also gotten involved with a group called Communion Liberation, and uh, we have a good group here at Benedictine College and. Uh, their founder, Luigi Giussani, had a similar outlook to Mother Teresa. He really recognized the presence of Christ today and uh, in everything that we do. So that's been a blessing. And, of course, on the campus, too, we've, uh, I was around when we brought focus here to campus and communal liberation, and uh, now we have St. Paul's Outreach and so many good groups that help the students come to a deeper faith. So Yeah, that's interesting. So being in the college and working with the college before those came, do you, have you seen any kind of, uh, obviously, a change and how, how so? Yes. Uh, well, when I was ordained in 1994, uh, one of my goals, I guess, privately was to uh, continue to grow in the spiritual life and also to help uh, the college to grow in, in the spiritual life. And so the first year we started having a holy hour uh, once a week and a few students showed up for that and it was funny because it's uh, just grew gradually um, we would add you know we'd say well now we'll have confessions before every mass and then a few students mm -hmm. started coming to confession and then that would bring them to mass and then we started expanding the adoration time and uh, a few years later focus came to campus we were blessed to have them and, and so in, in many ways, it was the Holy Spirit working, opening up channels of grace. Uh, I t joke with people because in the first year I was here, the, uh, the whole Sunday Mass uh, for the college fit in the Memorial Hall Chapel. And now we can't fit our weekday crowds into <laughs> there. And so it's, it's oh, really yeah. been a blessing to uh, see the, the growth of the, of the students who practice their faith and come from all walks of life to uh, come here to, to the college uh, to encounter Christ in a deeper way. And so, yeah. So I, when, I, so w when I came back in 94, we started having uh, adoration, we added confessions, and then uh, in 1997, we started talking about getting focus here, and they came in January of 98. And then in 2002, we had Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti, who was a good friend of St. John Paul II, and he visited campus. We had Father Benedict Grishel, and uh, just a number of outstanding speakers over the years that addressed the pro-life issues, uh, faith, evangelization, the growth of the person. And so it's really been a flowering of uh, humanity and, and faith on campus. Yeah, there are just so many options. Yes. I, when I came here originally as a freshman, I was I went to the ministry fair, and that's probably the most obvious sight, just seeing a whole line all the way down of all these different yes. uh, ministries. So, and, and all the students involved with that. When I first came, you know, we were lucky to have maybe a few big speakers a year, and and then all at once, you know, now we have a lot of times there'll be a night where where there'll be several big things happening on the same night. and uh, But I tell people that it's better to have two good things going on at the same time than two bad things. So it's always, <laughs> at least the, the students have choices and they're good, healthy choices with faith. So it's a 
positive step forward. Sure. That's healthy competition. <laughs> it is. It's, it's the uh, free market here. <laughs> that's great. So could you tell me a little bit more about communion and liberation? Because I think that's a ministry that some people know about, but not everybody. Yes, it's, um, communion and liberation started in 1954, and it was when Luigi Giussani, he was on a train ride, and he was talking to some young people, and he realized that there was a passion for ideology, but there really wasn't a passion for Christ. And uh, th there was a passion for all sorts of different, you know, bring back the Nazis or the communists or whoever. But Christ was sort of a, a forgotten figure. So he uh, left his role as a seminary professor and started teaching high school students. And from that blossomed a movement that really touched the heart of many people that saw that Christ was present in everything, that Christ was present in the work that you do in physics, mathematics, poetry, music. So there's no part of my life that's separate from him. Interestingly enough, in 1980, on the 1500th birthday of St. Benedict, Luigi Giussani and 12 of his followers went to Monte Cassino, where St. Scholastica and St. Benedict are buried. And there, in the presence of the abbot of Monte Cassino, on the 1500th birthday of St. Benedict and Scholastica, uh, they were recognized. Communion libera liberation was recognized as a movement under the abbot of Monte Cassino. And so St. Benedict was the patron of the movement. And the reason that Giussani said that St. Benedict is so close to the movement was because St. Benedict, like the movement, sees Christ in everything. That mm -hmm. Christ is present in the visitor. Christ is present in my work. Christ is present in... Uh, everything I do. And so th there's not the dualism of uh, competing gods or something, but Christ is, is victorious. And uh, some people doubted that the abbot of Monte Cassino could recognize the movement. So two years later, on the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes, St. John Paul II recognized communion liberation as a movement for the whole church. And again, under the patronage of our Lady of Lourdes, and of St. Benedict. So two great inspirers, Our Lady who said yes to the Lord, and St. Benedict who really is the father of Europe and father of uh, so much evangelization. Great, thank you. Yeah, that sounds like a good ministry to get involved with on campus here. Benedictine. Yes. So on that note, we've talked a little bit about ministry and the things going on and things you've been involved with. Uh, from your personal experience and your time as a monk, do you have any advice for someone, a student, somebody else listening, uh, for growing in their prayer life, taking the next step? Yes, what St. Benedict really had a, a simple path, and it was based upon reading the scriptures and prayer. You know, that he, there's other movements uh, later on, St. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila would have different methods of prayer which are beautiful and uh, of opening ourselves up to God's presence. But for St. Benedict, really the heart of prayer is coming to know God through the scriptures. He says in chapter 73 of the rule, what page or passage of the Old and New Testaments is not the surest guide for human life? So, He's really pointing out to us that 
when we open the scriptures and see from any page, we can find a, a meaning for life. Now, there's some books, of course, that we might be more attracted to. I often come back to Psalms or Proverbs or to the Gospels. But uh, right now, from my Lexio Divina, I'm reading First Samuel. And so I'm finding that very inspiring, mm-hmm. how God worked in the life of Samuel in the early uh, the house of Israel. So God works in our lives in mysterious ways, but continues to call. So I'd encourage people to read uh, the scriptures, read the fathers of the church, read uh, the catechism, read good, uh, healthy spiritual writers. Uh, there's a lot of great material out there today on the spiritual life. And not only to read books, but to take time to be alone with God. Mother Teresa used to tell her sisters that you don't need a lot of books but you need to just open your heart to the one who loves you. And so uh, sometimes we can get lost and think, I, I can't start praying until I read all these books and have all this knowledge. But Christ is waiting for us uh, in the scriptures, in the Eucharist, in his heart. And so we just have to, as, as a, a famous footwear company would say, just do it. <laughs> so on a little side note, as a last question, I know music is one thing. Do you have any other hobbies or interests that you like to do in your spare time as a monk? I've taken up uh, in the last year, I really like walking and getting outside. And uh, then I also started reading novels and uh, just I find that to be very good. And uh, But between music and the different work I do around here, uh, like now I'm work with the Oblates, I work with the College Knights of Columbus, I teach in the college, and I'm the choir master. Between that and then walking and reading, it keeps me busy, but uh, but those are some of my favorite things, walking and uh, and reading. So Sure. Do you have a favorite novel? I've been reading a lot of, uh, uh, there's a writer, she's a Catholic writer actually, Mary Higgins Clark, and she writes novels, so I just happened to come across her. But uh, I've been reading other things, too, so it's been... And I like history, I like theology, I like reading uh, a variety of things also. So mm-hmm. so the Oblates, you help with that a little bit. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yes, the Benedictine Oblates are lay are, yeah, lay men and women, also priests can be come involved with this. And they're people who want to follow the rule of Benedict wherever they are in life. So... Um, there's diocesan priests who are oblates, and both Mount St. Scholastica Monastery here in Atchison, the women, and St. Benedict's Abbey, the men have oblates for both men and women. So sometimes uh, someone will feel more called to become an oblate at the Mount, or some come over here to the Abbey. So um, people who are interested can contact me. They can email me or write to the Abbey and see about the oblate program. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation, Father. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your story with us. And I appreciate you inviting me here today and wish my blessings upon all of who are listening. Awesome. Would you mind closing us out in prayer? Yes, let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty Father, you who love us to the core of our being, open our hearts through the Holy Spirit to welcome Jesus Christ and to live that new life transformed by his grace, so that in all things we might give you glory. We ask all of these things through Christ our Lord. 
Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again, Father, for coming on the show. You're welcome. This has been another edition of Monkcast. Uh, remember, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and kansasmonks.org. And please don't forget to subscribe to Monkcast on iTunes for more podcasts and homilies from the monks of St. Benedict's Abbey.